John the Baptist. Absolutely. I didn't know there was a John the Baptist song in the hymn book, but there it is. So appreciate, uh, appreciate that. Let's turn then to uh, John. I'm sorry, Luke. I've got John on my mind. Luke chapter 1, not chapter 3 yet, but chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 63. This is the title of my message this morning. Um, I'll, I'll say it in a minute. So Luke 1, 63, and he asked for a writing tablet and, and wrote, saying, his name is John. That's it. His name is John. The, the prophets foretold that the Messiah would come. God would visit his people. We read that um, last week we read in Malachi that a messenger would come to prepare the way of the Lord. And that messenger was John the Baptist. He preached a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And he called people to repent of their sins so that they could be ready for the coming of the Lord. John the Baptist. He was a prophet. John the Baptist was more than a prophet. He was the forerunner of the Messiah, the one God promised uh, to prepare the hearts of his people. Jesus said in Luke 7, 28, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. That's that's quite uh, a statement. Not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. John was an ascetic, we we say, which means that he lived very simply. He lived uh, basically with the clothes on his back, clothes of camel hair, a leather belt, very much like the prophets of old. And uh, he ate locusts, wild honey, a very simple lifestyle. But that's the kind of life that you would expect from someone who is going to be the serv- a servant of the servant. And that's the kind of life that he lived. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ said he has nowhere to lay his head. This is like John the Baptist as well. John the Baptist was God's man set apart from his mother's womb born to turn the hearts of many to the Lord their God. And his message was very simple. It was this. Repent, and God will forgive your sins. Repent, and God will forgive your sins. John um, also baptized. That's why we call him John the Baptist, because he baptized people. And the baptism was a baptism of repentance. In other words, the people were coming to him and they were saying, look, we recognize that we are sinners. We repent of our sins. And now the evidence of that, what was taking place in their heart, was that they would make a public confession or a public declaration that they were sinners uh, by being baptized. And it really was just saying, look, we are turning from our sin and we are turning to God. As he preached to the crowds of people that began to gather to listen to him, there were two responses that uh, took place, um, two types of responses. There were those who admitted that they were sinners. They said, you know what, John? <laughs> You're absolutely right. We are sinners. And there were those who didn't. That was the second response. 
those who repented were baptized. But in being baptized, they were actually making another declaration, not just that they were sinners, but they were actually saying, God, you're right. You're right. And in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ says that they um, justified God. We don't usually think of it, of justification that way. We think of our own justification that God declares us right in his sight because we have believed on his son. But they were, by being baptized, they were declaring God was right and just um, by uh, their actions. So let's take a look at, well, we won't go to the passage. I'll just read it for you. Jesus said, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And so as God was looking at what was taking place on earth at that time, and people were turning to him, he was saying, they're declaring that I'm right by by accepting the fact that they were sinners. God's message is really the same today. It's very simple. It's a very, very simple message. And it is this. Repent of your sins and God will forgive you. God is offering you forgiveness. Your response to him is to repent, to turn from your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation. Really, when you do that, when you repent of your sins, you're really declaring God righteous. You're justifying God. You're saying, God, you're right. I am a sinner. You know, that is one of the hardest things for a person to do. I don't know why, because we sin every day. But we don't like to admit it, do we? You're really saying, God, you're right. I am a sinner. Paul went beyond that. He says, God, you're right. I am the chief of sinners. You know, we could all say that. I am the chief of sinners. You're saying, God, you're right. Not only am I a sinner, but I need your salvation. I can't save myself. I need you to save me. Please forgive my sins. And based on the promises of God, I can tell you emphatically this morning that when you repent of your sins and you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, your sins are forgiven. It's wonderful. It's very simple. Even a child can understand it. Next, we want to see that Although John was a straight-shooting, right-from-the-hip kind of a guy, as far as uh, no-nonsense kind of a preacher, he was also humble. He was a very humble man. Let's take a look now at our passage in Luke chapter 3. And we're going to start um, in verse 4, talking about John coming and and preaching a baptism of repentance. Verse 4 says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Did you notice John's name there? His name is the voice. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. His title, the voice. You know, as a servant of God, he really had no identity. 
He had no title. He had no name for himself. He was the voice. And as John's popularity grew uh, in Israel and multitudes of people began to follow him, well, that really could have gone to his head. You know, it would probably go to my head. Wow, look at all these people that are following me. But it clearly did not. You know, he could have set up a school in his name, the school of John, you know, but he didn't. His message really was self-effacing. He humbled himself and exalted the Lord Jesus. You know, I, I hate to say it, but it's really foreign today to do that, even in Christian circles. Imagine going to a Bible conference and hearing something like this introduction. Next, we will hear from the world-class evangelist and teacher, truly a lastingly significant theologian, an author extraordinaire, the right most reverend, Dr. William Smith. Now, if you think I made that up, it's pieced together, actually, from introductions to famous Christians. And I'm going, wow. (laughs) Wikipedia, our source for everything. Just for fun, I looked up ecclesiastical titles just to see if there was such a, a, um, a page. And sure enough, there was a page, but I don't know if you're familiar with Wikipedia as a, as a website, but it often has links to other things that are associated with that particular subject. You realize that there are 191 pages of links to ecclesiastical titles, all separated in individual. I said, wow, are we ever on the wrong planet here, you know? 191. These religious big shots need to take a page out of um, John the Baptist's life. When I ran DNK Press, we would sell Christian books to individuals and churches, and I would often get... Um, the pastor of the church calling. And he wanted to make sure that our mailing label was corrected because it said John Smith on it. And he says, you know, can you please correct that? It's uh, Pastor John Smith. Well, that was the simplest one, but we would never change it. Some of them said it's Dr. Um, John Smith, and others would say it's Reverend, and that really got got to me when I saw that. But we would never change it. And so he'd say, you know, please... You know, you can refer to me as as Reverend Dr. Smith. And uh, I'd say, okay, John. And I would say that on the phone. I wouldn't call him by that name. Why not? Because he's my brother in the Lord. There are no ranks and classes and statuses in the Christian uh, realm. We were both sinners saved by grace. Now, I may be the chief of sinners or close to it, but so was he. We're all on the same level playing ground. Oh, that we had more of this spirit in the church today. Imagine what would go on in Christian circles today if John the Baptist were to show up. The forerunner of the Messiah. A multimedia presentation would be made. There would be advertising. Full-color brochures would be printed. And we would, we would do radio and television ads because John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, uh, has come to town. John had one of the greatest privileges known to any preacher of any time, but he did not let it go to his head. In another gospel, we hear John say something similar to what we sang this morning. 
He, that's talking about Jesus, He must increase and I must decrease. More of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God grant to us that same spirit uh, that we might be truly humble before the Lord Jesus because He is so great. Now imagine a tribute like this instead. The next speaker today is a wretched man. He is a self-confessed sinner. He's a servant, recognized as the chief of sinners, the least of the apostles, in fact, the least of all saints. Here's Paul. All those things were said of Paul. John was like that too. He was the servant's servant, and he knew it. So let's take a look at um, Luke 3.15. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. John wasn't suffering from some inferiority complex here. He simply recognized who he was and who Jesus is. Once you recognize that, it's real easy to exalt Christ and humble yourself. John was, uh, like I said, a simple servant of the servant. Well, that makes John a very lowly servant indeed. John clearly taught the greatness of the Lord Jesus when he said, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. Now, he wasn't saying that it was beneath him to do that. He was saying that even to loose his sandal was above his pay grade. You know, that's really what he was saying. What a humble servant of the Lord. Humility in service for the Lord Jesus. Well, I am grateful that in this assembly, we don't fawn over degrees and ranks and status and so on. We have people in our midst here with PhDs, doctorate degrees. We have people who have positions of importance in the world and in their workplace. But all of that is left at the front door when they step into this building. And that's the way it should be. We are all simply brothers and sisters in the Lord. In a hymn written by Charles Wesley, he pens these words, Keep us little and unknown, prized and loved by God alone. John not only taught that the Lord Jesus was far greater than he was, he also taught the crowds that the Lord's ministry would be far greater than his. Again, in Luke 3.16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In a few short sentences, John puts things in perspective. His ministry was to call people to repentance. He merely baptized them with water. 
Now, he could assure them of forgiveness of sins upon repentance, but he was not able to produce repentance. He was not able to administer forgiveness to them. And this is important for us to realize, too. You may be called to preach the gospel. You may go out to the farmer's market. You may lead a person to Christ. You may share the gospel with family or with friends and um, or in some other way. And that's a great work. It's a wonderful work. It's the work we're called to do. But it is minor compared to the work that the Lord Jesus Christ does in the heart of an individual. He is the one who convicts of sin. He is the one who draws that person to himself. He is the one who forgives sins and saves our souls. And that is something only God can do. So there's really no boasting or no room for boasting on our part. We must speak highly of Christ and humbly of ourselves. John, he said that he merely baptized with water, but Christ can and does baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. What does John mean when he says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire? I actually like verses like this. I really do. Um, In 10 words... John describes events that span more than 2,000 years just as a project. Go home this afternoon and try to do this. In 10 words or less, try to describe both the first coming and the second coming of the Lord and the main features that are associated with both comings. Do it in 10 words. John did. It's amazing, such economy of words here. So here's what he's talking about. Jesus came the first time for salvation. He came to die on the cross to save our souls from hell. He paid our sins debt when he died as a substitute on the cross for us. After he rose from the dead, uh, let's take a look at it in Acts chapter 1. After he rose from the dead, he met with his disciples And in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, we read this. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Lord Jesus Christ descended back into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit uh, to to dwell uh, among the believers, to dwell in them. And uh, that's what he's referring to here. Now turn over to Acts chapter 11. You remember that the Gentiles also trusted the Lord and they were saved. And uh, they also received the Holy Spirit. And Peter recounts the events in Acts chapter 11 verse 16. Then I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the same thing happens to any believer today who believes in the Lord, or any person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So when he talks about being baptized 
by the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. When the, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in uh, a believer permanently, he's sealed by the Holy Spirit. But what does the phrase and fire mean? Well, it's pointing forward 2,000 years. So the first event was Pentecost. The second event he's talking about points 2,000 years past the time of Pentecost, and it has to do with the second coming of Christ. The first had to do with salvation. The second coming uh, has to do with judgment. Jesus Christ is coming again, and he is coming to judge the world. If we read verse 17 of Luke chapter 3, let's go back to that. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So verse 17 actually explains verse 16. Always look at the context when you're studying the scripture. Always look at the context because most often the answer to your questions are found right there, and it is here in this case. John is describing here the Middle Eastern practice of gathering wheat from the fields, crushing the wheat grain, and then taking uh, like a pitchfork or something like that and throwing the grain up into the air. Winnowing has to do with doing it at the right time. And it has to do with making sure that there's a wind blowing on, a, on that particular night that you're doing it. And as you throw the grain up in the air, the, the wheat is actually heavier and falls right back down. But if there's enough wind, it blows the chaff to the side. And so as they keep doing this, they're really separating the good grain from the chaff, which is useless. And so after they have finished um, this process of winnowing, the good grain is taken by the farmer, and he takes it and he stores it in his barn. But all the undesirable chaff he takes out to the furnace, and he burns it completely, burns in the fire. John is not speaking of something good here. He's speaking of judgment. And he's speaking of what the Lord is going to do in his second coming. It's a judgment in unquenchable fire. And it's really a somber note in this passage. And I, and I want to say it to you as well. The Lord is coming back again. And for those that do not know him, he is coming to judge the world. And it will be in unquenchable fire. I want to ask you this morning, are you wheat or are you chaff? Are you wheat or are you chaff? What is the Lord going to do with his wheat? He's going to come. And if you know him as your Lord and your Savior and your sins are forgiven, he's going to come and he's going to gather you to himself. That where he is, there you may be also. He's going to gather you and put you in his barn. (laughs) It's quite a barn. It's heaven. Those who do not know him, uh, he will gather to him. He will gather um, to burn with unquenchable, unquenchable fire. In Second Thessalonians one eight, it says this: "In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on the, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes in that day." to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. 
God is commanding you today, if you don't know him, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him that you might be delivered and spared from the wrath to come. The Lord doesn't want us to put it off even a day. In fact, the Lord says today is the day of salvation. If you don't know him, make this the day that you trust him as your Lord and Savior. John's baptism was with water. The Lord would baptize with the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, and with fire, the future judgment. Then Luke 3.18, it says this, And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. Now, it took me about 800 words to explain to you what John said in 10. Um, And probably, if I just repeat what John said, you'll remember it better. John was also fearless. Verse 19, But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. Herod had an immoral relationship with his sister-in-law. And John saw that this was sin. Of course, he recognized it as sin. But he was fearless in his um, approach, even to somebody in power. And he said, what you're doing is sin. This is wrong. It's against God's commands. It's evil what you've done. And so the best way of shutting him up was to shut him up in prison. That's what he did. Are you fearless in your witness? You know, it's very, very difficult, isn't it, to see sin that is so accepted in our society, so readily accepted, it's easier just to wink at it, turn, turn you know, a blind eye to it. John was fearless. It didn't matter if it cost him his life, and it did. He was faithful to the Lord, fearless before the Lord. Jesus said this, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we are called to live in the world, but not be of the world. We are called to be salt and light in the world. Salt is a preservative. Salt stings sometimes, and it did when John pointed the finger at Herod and told him that um, he was living in sin and committing adultery. But John was acting as salt and light in that situation. He was a fearless preacher of the truth. He did not change his message, even if it meant rebuking someone in great power, rebuking Herod himself for his sins. John rebuked him for his adulterous relationship. 
you know, we hear it, we see it, we're exposed to it so much, but sin is not okay. It's not okay as long as they are consenting adults. It's not okay to lead someone astray and into sin. Sin is a crime against God. And John was faithful to point that out to Herod. As a result, he was, as I said, thrown into prison. And ultimately, his head was chopped off and served up on a silver platter. His name is John. He was just a voice crying in the wilderness. But great is his reward in heaven. And we are in good company if we serve the Lord fearlessly as John did. The Bible says in Hebrews 12:1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Yet you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. John did. John did. Now the entire focus of the book, really from here on, shifts. It's no longer John. John has done his job. He has exalted Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. And we see him fading into the background as we see the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the foreground of this book. Verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. So first of all, we see as Jesus enters his ministry, uh, he is baptized. And immediately coming out of the water, we see the Spirit descending upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven declaring that he is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And in verses 21 and 22, we have the clear teaching of the Trinity. Now, as you know, the word Trinity is never used in the Scripture. But here we have, uh, or the fact of the triune God is very clearly taught. We have the Son coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and the Father speaking from heaven. I think it's wonderful that there was this visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And it really would underscore the fact that all of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, all the work that he did was through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do work in the flesh. We can do, not spiritual work, but we can do work in the flesh. But it's unfruitful. 
Only the work that we do through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us is really that which bears fruit. We should begin prayer each day saying, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might work for you today, serve you today. The Bible says that we are saved not by our works, but that that God has works for us to do. We're saved by grace. But works are not excluded from our, uh, our life. In fact, God says that he has prepared works beforehand that we should walk in them. So he has something for us to do. Every Christian has something that God wants him or her to do. He's prepared those works for us. To be fruitful in those spiritual works, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit, directed, led, guided by Him. Verse uh, 23. Now Jesus Himself began His ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, and on and on and on the list goes. I'm not going to read every one of these because... I was tongue-tied last week, and I'm sure I'll be even more so this week with some of these names. But we have before us a genealogy. And actually, in the Scripture, in the New Testament, there are two genealogies, one in Matthew and one here in the Gospel of Luke. And there's a difference between them, slight differences between them, because both authors were actually driving at two different um, points. In Matthew... We see his genealogy traced through Joseph's line, and thus Jesus inherited the legal right to the throne of David through Solomon. Matthew is presenting Jesus as the rightful king to that throne. But in the genealogy in Luke, it really is traced through Mary's line, and the emphasis is on the fact that Jesus is human. Um, If he is human then we must be able to trace his genealogy all the way back, all the way back to Adam. And in fact, that's what he does here. If you look at the very end, verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And so we see that Jesus is human. He has to be human and he has to be God. And he is both. Not part one and part the other, but fully human fully God. If he wasn't a human, he couldn't be my representative on the cross and I would be lost and so would you. But as a human being, he could take my sins in his body on the tree and as a perfect human being, he could die for the sins of the whole world. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus entered into his ministry um, years beginning at the age of 30. And so in the first three chapters of Luke, we've covered 30 years. And now the remaining 21 chapters, we concentrate on just three years of his life. And as I mentioned in the introduction to the Gospel of Luke, we see a very interesting thing in the Gospels. In particular, we see that that there's, um, uh, well, a little bit of space for a whole lot of years, and then... More space is given, more um, chapters are given to the three years of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, but most of it is really the last hours of his life on the cross. And God is trying to teach us something in that. It's not that the other part of his life isn't important, it is. But the most important thing, if you want to see the, you know, the highlighter pen of God, there it is. What he's doing is he's saying, look, 
This is the most important thing you can know. All of the Old Testament points to it. The Gospels point to it. It's the one event in history that changes everything. It's the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for you and His resurrection. That's the most important thing. And if you don't see anything else in life, that is the one thing you must see and understand and believe for your salvation. Well, this week, as the Lord enables you, remember that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Be the preservative you were meant to be. Be bold and be fearless in exposing sin, but be wise, as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves, the Scripture says. Let your light so shine this week, as John's did, that people may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Glorify our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the life of John the Baptist. We thank you for a man who was bold, who was fearless, who was a servant of the servant, one who was humble and exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may we also in our lives um, fade into the background as we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us this week, Lord, to be the salt and the light as you have described for us in Matthew. We just pray, Lord, that we might be faithful to your word and that we might be fruitful in all the works that you've given us to do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.